the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm Roberto Arguello of the Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-hosts, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoa and covering our wrap-up from last week at the Butterfield Bermuda, the course preview this week at El Camaleon. We'll talk about our best bets. And then we'll get into our, all of our outright cards, the matchups, place bets, and then other bets that we have in various other markets. Let's start our wrap-up last week with Spencer, who had a big winner on Thursday. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit off the air, but for whatever reason, that first-round leader market's been really beneficial for me for like the last two years. So two weeks ago, I had Gary Woodland at 95-1. to 1. Last week, I had Austin Smotherman at 80-1. to 1. Just one of those things where, you know, I always tell people, like, don't play it. I, I used to tell people not to play outrights, too, that there was just no value to be found in those markets. But for whatever reason, those are the two biggest markets that I seem to have on a lot of these weeks. So uh, it's nice when you can hit that. That makes up for a lot of the bad that came into play. Like, I was very exposed to Michael Gligich. Unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition with him missing the cut. And a couple other negative things that came into play with my card in general. But when you hit a first round leader and you know, you end up like, so I bet my outrights to win about eight units. I bet my first round leaders to win about three, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but they're usually around that three unit range with it. So when you can just immediately add three units to the mix, when you start the week, it's going to be hard to lose base off of that. So a nice hit for the podcast last week, we've got an outright winner and a first round leader within the last three weeks, I think. So pretty nice start for us here in the first, I think, six weeks of the fall schedule. With my personal card last week, I didn't actually touch the outright market. I had some really up and down results with my four bets. First one, I had Kevin U top 20 at plus 333. He ended up finishing third. So that was a nice hit for after a, I bet a quarter unit on it. I also bet on Denny McCarthy in a matchup. He ended up finishing in the top 10, which you would think would be a nice result. But the guy I bet him against was Seamus Power. And he won the tournament. So any matchup would have lost there, unfortunately. But thankfully, that was my smallest play of the week. Other bets I had, I had the winner to not be in the final group of the final round. As much as the guys in the last group tried to come back to the pack, they had just too much of a lead after that. So that was a loser. And then I also bet on Callum Tarrant to miss the cut at plus 180. And that one hit. So two and two for the week, but plus 0.88 units. So a nice little week, even though didn't bet a lot on it. Nick, how was your week? It's great for three days. The only bet I made, uh, like I said last week, I hated that tournament, was C.T. Pan top 40. I think he was either ninth or like he was top 15 after Saturday and then shoots three over on Sunday. What did he finish? Like 49th? Let's see. 44th. Perfect. So three-day winner, but all in all, I got nothing in return. Thank you for that, C.T. Pan, just the volatility of golf in general. But yeah, I did not see anybody... Him especially for how well he was managing that course the first three days to just go shoot a three over par on Sunday when a lot of the guys were doing a lot of scoring on Sunday. So well, frustrating, but it's kind of what I expected with that tournament. I feel like any other tickets I would have pushed would have just been more of a, a 4C action type of play. But I'm excited for this week. I actually have quite the full card of over six units at risk. So it's the first time I've been able to contribute for a while on this podcast with multiple plays. So I'm looking forward to it. 
So let's get into this week. We're going down to Mexico in Playa del Carmen, the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayacobo. This is, tournament is played at El Camaleon Golf Club, which is Spanish for the chameleon. And this week, the winner gets one of my favorite trophies on the PGA Tour. It's a sweet, huge chameleon. Hopefully, someone can take it from Victor Hovland, who's won this tournament each of the last two years. This is another resort course right on a coast. Spencer, what more can you tell us about the course? And the first thing that I'll say, which is was at least a negative to me, is there's no stat tracker here. And I feel like I keep saying mm -hmm. that every single week. And I'm curious how you guys handled that. Like, we always talk about how we go back in and we try to project, you know, some of the times when we don't have data on hand to be able to do it. And it was a little difficult this week. I wasn't able to find a ton that I liked with it. So I think you're going to have to trust your gut in some of these spots more than ever, but it measures about 7,100 yards. The course is a part of 71. It plays on past palm greens. And the best way I would describe it would probably be as an exposed oceanside track that does have jungle terrain and swampland. That's a very unique mixture since you get three different textures with that description, but golfers must traverse various hazards, including those of the architectural variety, assuming at least if they want to find success during this open but troubling paradise in Mexico. It's important to note that there are very few locations on the PGA Tour where distance doesn't hold an advantage over precision, but nearly 65% of all top 10 finishers during the previous nine years have been shorter than average off the tee. It's not to say that distance is a negative, but accuracy players will undoubtedly see a boost. One of the reasons for that has to do with players clubbing down to avoid the plethora of hazards that come into play. And while the rough is virtually non-existent, the misses quickly increase scores if you find yourself in the jungle or I guess even worse in the water with your opening shot. We see the venue rank inside the top 10 for birdie or better percentage and double bogey or worse rate, which highlights a lot of what I just said. And the last thing that I want to mention is these greens typically register between 10 to 11 on the stint meter. The best way to describe that for somebody that doesn't exactly know what that means, that's kind of like a plotting speed that's put into place so the grounds crew can maintain the course if the prevailing winds do play a factor. So we're going to have really slow greens where, you know, I think a guy like Scotty Scheffler, this is maybe just like where I'm saying like trusting my gut in situations. I feel like this could be a good thing for a golfer like Scotty Scheffler. We know that the putter hasn't been very good recently. You put them on slow greens all of a sudden, it's a very pure surface. It's why, you know, take Victor Hovland, for example. He's one of the worst around the green players that there is, but it's a really pure texture all the way throughout that surface. So I think you're going to get very true roles in a lot of these aspects with it. So uh, it's going to be curious to see which guys can take advantage of that and like what your what happens to your around the green players that do have an advantage there that all of a sudden lose it. And there's a couple guys we can talk about in a little bit that one of them, I have a head to head matchup against, which I think that that might be a noteworthy thing. Yeah. Let's jump into it with your best bets. Is that one of your best bets? Is that your best bet for the week? Yeah. So my best bet this week is going to be Aaron Rye minus minus one ten over Robbie Shelton. As I just said, you know, these lies are going to be perfect for everyone in the field. It's why a bad short game golfer like Victor Hovland has won in back to back years. And Shelton starts running into trouble when we go into other avenues of my model, trying to find sustainable success. He does rank inside the top 10 for around the green play. I want to point that out, but he ranks 120th for total driving gear toward finding fairways. And the problem continues from there with the weighted proximity placing 34 spots below expectation when I run my data for the course. Misses here and there will be much more penal than we've seen the past few weeks. And we're talking about a golfer that hit under 60% of fairways last week. To me, this is a situation where I think you have recency bias coming into play. 
I understand Shelton has looked good to start this year. I understand that he hasn't missed the cut to begin 2023, but not every single course is built the same way. And I think that's something that's noteworthy for these guys that are, you know, I don't know what you want to call Robbie Shelton. I'll call him a journeyman. Maybe that's not like the most respectful thing to say at this point, but if you're not one of these like prototypical year in and year out top players in the world, the courses that you play do matter a lot. And even matters for the top end guys. It's just the top end guys' skills are so much better than everybody else that they get away with it a little bit more. But to me, I think if you take away what Shelton's really good at, which is his around the green game, he still has the par five scoring. Maybe that comes into play. But if you're telling me that he needs to be a good total driver and he's not that, and all of a sudden like misses are going to be a problem. If you're hitting 58% of fairways last week and you're coming inside the top 25 and now all of a sudden you have to hit fairways, to me, this feels like a blow up spot. So I thought Aaron Rye was good value. I had value on that number up until minus 135. So even if it moves a little bit, I don't mind if you play it up a bit. Yeah, I really like to play. I love Aaron Rye this week as a guy who is not, as you said, one of those elite players like Shelton and just kind of the opposite case where he is a great accurate driver, whereas he's not necessarily long enough and that eliminates him on some courses, but this is a chance to kind of buy low on him perhaps. And no disrespect to Robbie Shelton being a veteran player on the tour, something that I have a lot of respect for because it takes a lot to keep your card year in and year out, especially if you're not one of those elite players who has an exemption for winning my best bet for the week. I'm going to go back to the well with Kevin. Yu. I think he's a guy. So I think there's some turnover from last week where for players who do hit fairways pretty accurately, they can contend here as well. And for top 20 last week, he was plus 333. This week, it's a much stronger field, especially at the top. Uh, but at plus 450, I like him out there for that. And I also am going to sprinkle him at plus 165 for a top 40 finish. This is a guy who has a higher ceiling than I think a lot of people realize. When he was at Arizona State, he had the second best scoring average for his four-year career among any Arizona State golfer behind John Rahm. And keep in mind, Mickelson's went there. A lot of talented players have gone through that program. He's also someone who's in great form, as we said, T3 last week, but he's made the cut in all of his appearances this fall. Also had a top 20 at the Shriners. And he has been sizzling on approach. He's an accurate driver of the golf ball, but he's also well above average in driving distance. We know you don't need to be a great long player to contend at this course, but Victor Hovland has shown that it hel- it certainly helps. I really like his game. I think he's undervalued. I'm not sure how long we're going to be able to get these big numbers for top 20s. So I'll sprinkle him this week for both top 20 and top 40. Yeah, like Roberto, we talked a lot about this last week. I like to play last week. I like it again this week. I, I, I do agree that, you know, unfortunately, and we'll get to this in a little bit, I had been hammering away on the idea. We'll, we'll go back to Aaron Wise for a second that we need to hit an outright on him before this number shifts and Mm -hmm. hopefully the books don't adjust. And unfortunately the books adjusted. He's 18 to one to win the tournament this week. We're not going to be able to get there on that number. At least I couldn't get there on that number, but uh, Kevin, you still has the value at the time being right now. So, you know, hopefully we can keep continuing to beat these markets maybe until they adjust to what a proper price is on him. And hopefully we get a blow up week from Aaron wise and we can get back right back on the bandwagon soon. Nick, what stands out to you on the board this week? I love it. I'm uh, I'm riding the Kevin U train as well. I took that top four week ticket. I'm not quite as aggressive as uh, some of the people out there. I do not really do top twenties and top tens just because most of the action that I get down it does not pay ties in full. So I kind of take uh-huh. that bigger threshold in the top forty market. But I'm ready to get hurt again. I'm going back to my boy. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows where it is. It's Russell Henley top forty. 
minus 115 is rather standard across the market. I think you could find that at, at most shops that you play at. I believe it was minus 120 on bet 365. So not a bad number there as well. My model's got it at minus 150, but my model is pretty much like Mr. Henley's model. So it's meant for him, but this course seems perfect. Everything that he does well, this course like obviously accentuates that. And then the one thing he does really bad is putting, but on slower greens, he seems to have a lot more success in at least managing the three putts. So I think this is a very good week for Russell Henley. I will also be taking his outright at 50 to one. Like I said, I'm just, I'm ready to get hurt again. It's uh, getting towards that, that winter golf swing here. So it's time. Yeah. And just to add to that, like the stats pretty much say exactly what you just said. So he's 91st in my model in strokes game putting. He is 48th when you get these slower putting surfaces. And I'll lead you into the next part of this because this was a play I considered making. I didn't end up getting there just because, I mean, I guess volatility with Henley would be the answer to it. But No such uh, thing. No such thing. Russell <laughs> Henley minus 120 over at Adam Hadwin in the head-to-head market. That's about as close as I came to punching a ticket. I didn't get there. Um, I don't have a problem with anybody that does want to play it, but uh, let's hear why you took it, Nick. (laughs) Well, uh, Adam Hadwin grades out as like a, I think 53rd in my model and pretty much like he's not hitting nearly as many pharaohs as he has. His iron play is not as elite as it once was. So for me, it's Russell Henley got a little bit more in form at the CJ Cup in South Carolina. So again, it's just like, if there was any course for my model to really love Russell Henley, this is the highest grade that he's had for me in terms of a relatively good field. At least it's, it's kind of top heavy. There's some studs out there. We got Scheffler, Morikawa, Hovland, Finau, you know, Aaron Wise, a pretty big name, Billy Horschel's out there. So there are a lot of good players. And for Russell to be this high up, I'm going to run with it. He finished sixth overall in my model. So only minus 115 in the top 40 market. And then, yeah, like I said, a massive gap from him to Hadwin. I think it was just, yeah, buying low on Henley and kind of selling Hadwin when his iron form's not really what it used to be. Yeah, we seem to be against Hadwin most of these weeks. He's been a popular fade on this podcast, no doubt. But let's get away from our fades and let's go to whom we are backing this week with our outright plays. Spencer, want to get us started? I want to start by saying this. I, I think the top of the board, whether let's just say it's like the first six guys. So... Uh, Scheffler, Morikawa, Hovland. I'm going to try to run through these off the top of my head. Finau, Horschel, Wise. I think that's where a lot of the win equity is this week. The problem where that comes into play with that is my model really likes Scotty Scheffler. I'm not betting him at nine to one, but it really likes him. And that kind of creates this difficult board in my eyes where the, the top six guys in projected win equity are pretty much the six favorites in this tournament. I think the only one that's probably bettable is Colin Morikawa. My model thought he should have been 16 to one. I saw him at 18 to one in the space. That would be the one that seems most doable to me, but I'm just going to take a little bit of a different approach this week. I'm going to stack three guys in that mid tier of 40 to 50 to one and call it a day. I started my card with Brian Harmon at 40 to one. You might be able to find better if you shop around, but Harmon ranks 10th in this field on slow to average greens. And it's this par four upside that intrigues me most since these short accuracy friendly scoring chances will always be the style of a venue that suits his game best. I'm going down the road with Nick. I'm going to take Russell Henley at 50 to one. I love the t- total driving that he brings from an accuracy sense. And then the projected par four proximity places him second. That's a combination of a golfer that's expected to hit fairways at a higher rate than almost anyone. And then you add irons that ideally fit most of these ranges. And then the last player I took was Brendan Todd, 50 to one on bet 365. Outside of Hovland winning this tournament in back-to-back years, 
you aren't going to find better course history than Todd's 11th, 8th, and 1st since 2019. He's ranked 6th in expected par 4 scoring on my model, 17 spots better than expected. And the weighted proximity of 18th is quite notable since he often struggles with second shots that are over 150 yards. There will be less of those occurrences this week than almost any stop on tour. And the combination of accuracy, putting, and short iron play place him in a class of his own in my model for how strongly he graded. He was almost twice as good in that category versus the second place person in Billy Horschel. Wow. So I guess essentially the condensed version of that would be, I think Scheffler is going to win. I think he has like the best quote unquote best win equity. I think Morikawa probably has the best value at 18 to one. He should have been closer to yep. 16. And then the three names after the big six for me were the three that I grabbed in Harmon, Henley and Todd. I had all of them more around the 25 to 35 to one range. I still technically have room on my card if I want to get to Morikawa. And maybe that's a route I end up taking before this is done this week. But it's just really hard when I like my model really likes Scheffler. I really like the Brendan Todd play. He's someone I'm still figuring out how to back this week. I may end up playing him in several markets, including outright. Uh, and we know that he's been a winner on tour recently, multiple times in the same year. So he's someone who can get it done on Sunday. I am taking the bait and taking Colin Morikawa at 18 to one. Uh, you can I find that well. at an odds boost <laughs> on bet three, six, five. Uh, I'm a huge Colin Morikawa fan. I know that when he's on, which he wasn't last year and he finished third in stroke chain approach when he's on, he's the best iron striker in the world. And if that form comes through this week, I think it's as good of a fit as any, where, as we said, the greens are rolling super slow. It really helps poor putters and his putting is just please every week when I bet on him, I just don't want him to be an absolute catastrophe out there. If he just doesn't gain any strokes, but doesn't lose any strokes on the putting greens, I'll take it. And if he gains strokes, he should win. If he strikes the ball, like he normally does. I like that his above average driving accuracy will play on this course, even though he's not someone who's relatively long. I like him a lot going through the rest of my card. I'm taking the bait again on Jason day. We're riding him. I think right. he's someone whose approach game is also sizzling. He's been hot this fall with strokes gained on approach each of the last three tournaments. And we know he's got an elite short game and here playing on approach and putting plays. So I like Jason day a lot. He may not be the best player in the world like he was before, but I think he's inching yeah, toward debatable. being a top 20 player again. <laughs> and I think he's going to win this year and we want to get it before the number changes. It's not the hundred to one or 81 we were seeing about a month ago, but I'll still take the bait. One other player I've got, Harris English, 80 to 1, T5 last year here, solo fifth two years ago, also an elite putter. His approach game is trending up. I believe we talked about him three, four weeks ago. And I asked you guys Good. what we need to see from Harris English before we start betting him. You said we need to see the approach play go from big negative to a positive. And I think that's happened. And at 80 to 1, I'll get ahead of the curve on him. And once again, some of these guys where we want to get ahead of the curve on, you want to get these guys on Monday when their odds are 20% higher than they are right now. Lastly, I sprinkled Kevin Yu at 110 to 1. Talked about that in my place bet. And then I also am on the fence about Tom Hoagie, 30 to 1. Odds were better at the beginning of this week. I personally took him at 40 to 1. Not sure about giving him out at 30 to 1. But he is also on fire on approach. Top 13 finishes in all four starts this fall. Tied for third here last year. Guy who has also been elite on these courses over the last calendar year where you don't need to be long off the tee, but more so set up your second shot 
off the tee by just finding a fairway and then putting it on the green. We know he won at Pebble Beach and he's gained strokes putting in all three track tournaments this fall above average inaccuracy off the tee. So I really like him at 30 to one. I still think there's value there as well. Not as juicy as it was earlier this week, but I still like it. All in all, I've got 1.03 units on outrights this week, 0.2 units on Jason Day, 45 to one. 0.4 units on Morikawa, 18 to 1. 0.1 units on Harris English, 80 to 1. 0.25 units on Hoagie, 30 to 1. And then 0.08 units on Kevin Yu, 110 to 1. The thing that my model likes so much about Scheffler and Morikawa this week, and they both kind of go in the same grouping when you want to look at it. The one difference is, is Morikawa is as elite in the world that this is possible. You know, there's rain here. We're already talking about really mm. slow greens. Now you want to add into the mix that they're going to be really soft greens because of the rain. Look, yes. every single week, iron play kind of rules the day. But I think on a venue, when you take distance out of the equation, you want to find accuracy golfers. And then you want to find these like mid to short iron players that can take advantage of that part of their game. This is an iron test. Morikawa's number one in weighted proximity. I mean, that, you could put anybody in this field. He'd be number one in my model. He's number one in weighted par four. Uh, Scheffler is within the top three in both of those categories for me. So that's like the thing that's sticking both of those two apart from most players in this field. And if you were to tell me that Morikawa gained strokes with the putter this week, and he does what we expect him to do with the iron play. I mean, he could run away with this. Like I could see him get to 27 under and win this by like five shots. It's not like an inconceivable thought. Who would you guys rate higher as a putter right now? Because I would lean toward not Scheffler just because I know he put a new putter in the bag the last time we saw him a few weeks ago that was at the CJ Cup, and he lost strokes on the green significantly. And it looks like just looking at his strokes gained putting, he was riding a hot wave in the beginning of last year in the spring, and he won four out of, I believe, six starts. But then since mid-May, the putter has been pretty cold for him. And when he has had strokes gained putting – it looks like he's finished solo second and tied for second, but every other tournament he hasn't gained strokes putting and he doesn't have another top 10. So I'll just say, I don't want to back Scotty Scheffler when the putter has been so cold for such a long period of time. But once we see him start to gain strokes putting, because right now over the last calendar year, he was number one in strokes gained approach. What do you guys think about Morikawa versus Scheffler on the greens? I think you have two players there when they get hot, they win golf tournaments. And when they go cold, we see these runs that, you know, like Scheffler's going on right now with it. And even Morikawa, I guess, to an extent, he hasn't been putting up like the best results here and there. But I mean, the one difference between them, which is why I think Scheffler has more upside as a golfer, maybe that's a controversial statement, but it's the distance. Like, I think yeah. his distance that he brings to the table is the big separator. Morikawa is going to be a better iron player. Uh, it's all relative. I mean, it's close enough with it, but I mean, I guess like if you were to tell me that I needed one to make a putt, I would trust Scotty Scheffler more, but they both have been horrible over the last little bit. Nick, any thoughts on that? I would, I don't know. I, I, I think you're, you're looking into it maybe a little too much. I would still trust Scotty. Obviously it was the, the one tournament with the new mallet putter that he's using, but when it, I, it's like more Kyle, we've seen him be a bad putter his whole career. And Scotty has been a lights out putter before in his career. I would just trust Scotty all day there. Well, I mean, I can give you numbers. So like I have a two-year running model that looks into it. So if I looked at strokes gain putting, Scheffler is 51st in this field. Morikawa is 88th. If I look at yeah. slow surfaces like this, Scheffler is 45th. Morikawa is 53rd. If I look at the last 24 rounds, Scheffler is 116th. Morikawa is 133rd. I think we said it 
when these guys have their putting, they can win. And that's really what matters for outrights. Guys, any more outrights we want to share? No, that's it for me. Like the, the one play that I may end up getting to is Colin Morikawa. I hate that you both are on it and <laughs> and I'm not right now because my model does agree that he is value at the number. But other than that, it's a very minimal card. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. All right, let's move on to our place bets. I've got a pretty robust card here. Spencer, do you want to get us started? I only have one, and I know Nick's card. Uh, he sent it to me before, and I we both did something. It's not on the same player, but we rarely ever lay juice in the placement market and i'll let him get to who he's laying juice with i don't think that that's going to come as some shock to anybody who's made it this far into the show but i took brendan todd at minus 120 for him to land the top 40 i'm not a huge course history advocate but 11th 8th and first should be considered very encouraging for a player with three top 28 finishes in his past four starts on tour and then the weighted proximity accuracy and par four scoring only adds to that potential floor plus upside combination Todd's probably my favorite play on the board that I'm trying to gain exposure to in multiple avenues of the market and then I have him as a first round leader I have him as an outright I have him as a top 40 bet I've yet to find a matchup that I like involving him since you know the odds are kind of beyond belief at this point with how much they're juiced but Brendan Todd minus 120 for a top 40 is the one bet that I have this week in the placement market I like it we've already talked about Brendan Todd so I won't get into that anymore Nick, do you have any other top 20 plays? I got a handful of top 40s here. So Lee Hodges, right. um, I don't know if you're if you're familiar with the Hammer Kid play of the week. That is my uh, my Twitter thing that I do most weeks. Lee Hodges, top 40, the best price you can get right now in the market is plus 140. I absolutely love that. I got him priced at um, pretty much even money. He's in really good form too. Seems to be like Henley, a course that should fit him a lot better than most courses do especially with not needing much off the tee besides accuracy um want your guys opinions on these next two so i'm also on kevin you top 40 you talked about that earlier russell henley i discussed ct pan i think i'm going to go back to the well with him at plus 210 i had him at plus 170 so i'm getting 40 points of value there two more that are really gross i never thought i'd find value on either of these guys but Francesco Molinari, top 40 at plus 135. He's playing some pretty good golf. He's not playing a lot right now, but four straight top 38 finishes. Again, like he's an older guy, doesn't hit it long. The iron plays fine. The proximities are, I guess, are a little bit sketchy, but he's a good putter, especially on slow greens as well. I like his form right now a little bit for a guy that I know is a, a proven tour player, but so much ups and downs with him. I think it's super volatile. So plus 135, don't love that number. I technically have value there. So I want your guys' opinion. And then James Hahn, two to one to finish top 40. I think I like that one a lot. And Francesco Molinar, I was close to getting there on bet 365 at 53rd or better. I love that they have those custom finishing positions, but I will not lay juice on Francesco Molinari. So I, I think the, the ticket I have a little bit more edge on is plus 135 on the top 40. So what are your guys' thoughts on Molinari, James Hahn, and then we could skip over CT Pan. I think he's just more, uh, it's more of a fanboy play. My model seems to just love the data it has on him. And again, he played three really good rounds. So it was just a bad Sunday. So I could, uh, I could forgive that. He's done me a lot better than Russell Henley has in my 
betting career so far. And I keep going back to Russ. So, you know, we forgive and we forget. I guess I'll start us off and I'll, I'll actually start us off with the name. That's going to be the hammer kid play in Lee Hodges. So the one difference between Lee Hodges and Robbie Shelton, when we compared those two golfers specifically. So my model likes what both of them are doing from a recent perspective. And sometimes you get these recency biases that come into play. That's not what's happening here with Lee Hodges. My model just happens to like him and think that like, this is more of what he should be doing. You know, maybe the seventh at the CJ cup, that's obviously like as high end as you can get, but You know, he's 45th overall for me. He's 31st for safety. I think all of those things are encouraging. That's a lot different than what I'm getting with Robbie Shelton. Like to me, Robbie Shelton looks like a course specific type golfer. I think Lee Hodges looks like a really good fit for this particular venue. And he has good form to come into the mix with it. So I like the Lee Hodges play, you know, Molinari is intriguing. I don't know if you're going to run a model on him and find a whole bunch. Maybe you found more than I did just of recent form with it, but I never mind going back. I think this is like where I've gotten caught with this Jason Day thing for so many years. Where now he's I on know, fire, though. Well, and now you, now you don't talk about him. That's what I don't get about the Jason Day. Thing. I, 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 but, oh, go ahead. I really like Jason Day this week. I'll throw that out there. I just think it's a given at this point that I like Jason Day. But like that's, that's what I'm looking for on these players. It's like players that we know historically have been top end golfers. You know, Jason Day, major winner. Francesco Molinari, major winner. These guys that maybe go away for a little bit, and then once they get it back, we know that they're proven entities that can win on the tour. I don't really know where Molinari is at this point with his game. I don't really know what to expect. I don't hate it. I think it makes sense. And and then as far as James Hahn goes, I I really don't have a take on it. (laughs) I think that's fair. Maybe, maybe if anything, and this is going to be my... My lean off if I don't punch the ticket is that, well, Molinari for sure. I'm going to play him in DFS. He's going to be 0% owned. Conversation for another day. And again, I totally expect that to be a landmine. That's fine. But I always like to find like a 1% owned guy to get different. Um, Maybe James Hahn is probably the same. I've never bet James Hahn in my life, I don't think. And don't think I want to start now, but I appreciate that. Unless, Roberto, you have any good things to say about James Hahn. And Francesco Molinari. It's just the numbers for me, though. I had Han at plus 160 to finish top 40. And the C2 to 1, I was like, okay, I, I like that because it kind of offsets the uh, Russell Henley chalk I'm eating a little bit. Well, the but thing they can that, both lose. The, the thing that James Han has going for him 27th in 2021 here, 29th in 2018. He has a 58th in 2019. So he's making cuts at this venue. We know two of the last three times he's played it, he's come inside the top 40. For the record, my numbers don't like absolutely hate him. I have him 64th in my model. So, I mean, he's outside of that like top 40 range, but I mean, he's not a golfer. That's like 112th for me that I want absolutely no exposure to in any way. One more thing too, like when you look at his historical finishes here, yeah, we like the, the previous two events here, but he doesn't really come into them in good form either. So this is just must be a course that fits his eye. He feels comfortable at. So maybe that's, uh, I did give a decent boost to course history in my model, which I usually don't do unless it's Augusta, but this is a, a little bit higher for predictability in terms of course history. So that's that's probably what's pushing them up there because recent form, anything like that, there's just nothing there for James Hahn. There's a very good chance that I probably underweighted in my model, which is one of the big differences that's coming into play. Roberto? I don't have any strong feelings on James Hahn, but I do like Francesco Molinari. I've got some Great memories. I did bet him at, I believe it was 33-ish to one to win that 2018 Open Championship. So all right, I love Molinari. Real quick, I, I did bet him at 100 to one, but I realize that's <laughs> lighting money on fire. But I like now that I hear Kevin use 110 to one, I feel like he's got a lot more upside. But just wanted to come clean. This is a uh, 
a chat of solidarity. I did punch that ticket <laughs> 100 to 1. You're a better man than I am, Nick. I, I still can't confirm or deny that I've bet Jason Day. <laughs> well, so I have Jason Day for top 20 as well. I'll get to that in a moment. But on Molinari, this is his first PJ Tour start since the Open Championship. And he's been a little bit out of sight, out of mind. We know he's a really accurate driver of the golf ball. So I think it fits him his game this week. Going into my top 20 plays, I've already got into why we like Jason Day. I've got him for top 20 at plus 190. Already talked about Kevin Yu, top 20 plus 450. I've also got Emiliano Grillo at top 20 plus 170. A little shorter odds than I normally like to play for the top 20 market, but he's a guy who I think fits this course really well. He has some strong finishes on what I would call similar courses, Oceanside courses, where you don't need to be super long off the tee. And some of those finishes include a second in 2015 and third solo finish at the Puerto Rico Open, a sixth at the Corrales Punta Cana in 2021. And then he's got three top 10 finishes at this golf course, El Camelon, in 2016, 2017, and 2020. Just statistically, he's a guy who is really accurate. He is really strong on approach. And right now he is on a hot streak with his putter. Big issue for him is around the green game, but that's going to be minimized this week. So I don't have a problem with that there. I didn't play him outright, but I think he's got a pretty high floor this week. So I'll ride with him at plus 170 for a top 20. One other player who I'm still trying to figure out how to play is Brandon Wu. He is plus 330 for a top 20 this week. And he's someone who has had success like Grio has at some of these Oceanside shorter courses. He's a guy who is better when driving accuracy is a little bit more emphasized. And he's played pretty well on these Paspalum greens, as you can see by some of his prior finishes. What do you guys have on Brandon Wu? Any thoughts? One big takeaway I see in my model is he's 20th when it comes to these strokes gain total on slow to average greens. So, I mean, that's at least a noteworthy thing. And he's 11th when it comes to just strokes gain putting. So the first one would be taking a complete encapsulation of all the strokes gain data when he's 20th, when he's 11th, that would just be the putting. So that's a 56 spot increase over what my baseline projection says he should be on a random course. So I mean, I think there's a reason to believe that he will like a slower pass volume surface like this. Hitting a ton of fairways too. So I like where you're at there. And so the one thing that is kind of frustrating me, and Spencer, you brought this up earlier, is some of the lack of data we've had. And he started off this fall by getting cut at the Fortinet, then had a T39 and a T56 at the Sanderson Farms and the Shriners. Then in the Zozo and the Bermuda last week, he finished T29 and T35. But we don't have any data on strokes gained approach when he had previously lost strokes on approach in each of the previous three tournaments. So I can't quite get there just because I don't have the confirmation on approach. And last week he was 19% more accurate than the average player at Bermuda. So that might've played more of a role into it, why he finished T35. I'm laying off for now on Brandon Wu, but I'm going to keep an eye on him. The accuracy number is a good thing. That's like the one good thing that we can at least see from it. But yeah, as you said, it's very difficult when we don't know if a guy is gaining 10 shots with the putter or if they're doing it all with the irons or what's going on. I mean, there's not all strokes gained are, are exactly the same. Like I would rather my golfers be gaining them with the irons and then the driver and everything else I can work around with that. So it makes it challenging, but if the driving accuracy looks good and we know you have to at least have a good driving accuracy mark to find success at this course and 
you know, some of the stuff for me within a hundred yards, like, like he's 37th when it comes to proximity within a hundred yards, that's an encouraging sign for him. So I definitely think it's a unique player to try to play. And I kind of like the price that you mentioned. Any other place bets you're eyeing before we move on to exotic bets? Not for me. All right. So any other miscellaneous bets you guys are looking at this week? Well, I guess I'll give out some first round leaders on here. I never really wanted to do it, but I have four. Let's this keep week. it rolling. He's got so, four now. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> Fire away. So, so I'm going to the top of the board in this facet with it. I'm taking Scotty Scheffler at 20 to one. You can find that at pretty much any book. Russell Henley, 55 to one. That's a uh, Brian Harmon, 60 to one. And Brendan Todd, 55 to one. All right. I'll be that guy and say the weather on Thursday looks like there's a good chance of thunderstorms. So keep an eye on the tea times and the weather. Uh, perhaps if you're listening to this on Wednesday, when there's a little bit more certainty and what the weather's going to look like, maybe factor that into some of your pro- prognostications. But otherwise, I like all those guys, Spencer. Nick, any first round leader or otherwise exotic bets? No, um, this isn't even exotic, I guess, but it's the last bet on my card that we didn't mention. I did take, um, as we mentioned, Russell Henley over Adam Hamlin. Brian Harmon over Andrew Putnam at minus 110. Didn't love this one, but I, I did look at Spencer's model. Harmon's pretty high up there. Putnam's respected on there as well. But overall, I'm going with the better iron player, in my opinion, and that's Brian Harmon, because both are in fantastic form right now. Putnam's on fire in terms of Andrew Putnam, but I like that price at minus 110. I had it all the way down to minus 135. So Brian Harmon over Andrew Putnam, and that pretty much closes out to my card for the weekend. All right, Spencer, any other bets we haven't gotten to yet? No, that's pretty much my card also. Like like I said, I considered Russell Henley at minus 120 over Adam Hadwin. The play that I really liked, and unfortunately this moved by about 30 points before we recorded, but and maybe there's a book that's slow out there to move, but I really liked Lucas Glover at minus 120 over Derek Higo. If you can find that number still, I, I would play it at that price, but I don't know if it's going to be out there anymore. Like when these things move, they kind of are just gone. And we've talked before on this podcast about how Higo is one of those players who might have a lower floor than others on the tour. I know that's a big reason why you want to bet some of these, these matchups, especially now that we've got cuts because you can win it on Friday or you could win it on Sunday. Another bet I haven't made, but I'm considering is Joel Damon trying to figure out how to back him. Another player who's done well in this kind of course. He's also Pretty hot on approach, gained 4.5 shots on approach at the Sanderson Farms, then 4.3 at the Shriners, and then we don't have data, but he finished 16th at the Zozo, so it's safe to assume he did decently well there. I think he's a player who was not an elite player on tour, but pops up at these certain kinds of courses, a la Brendan Todd, Brian Harmon. Going to try to back him in some way, still digging into the numbers on that. Guys, any final thoughts before we hit the road? No, not for me this week. Anything for you, Nick? Um, no, just check the score of the World Series though, and the Phillies are up for nothing. So I did take the Phillies money line tonight. It's more of just hate for Houston, not the city itself. Um, beautiful place, but the the team, the Astros. So if you're from Houston out there, nothing, nothing against Texas. Big fan, um, but not an Astros fan. So I know that's not a golf thought, but I figured that was uh, interesting. As we're live on air, the Phillies take a big lead. Let's start the weekend high. I think the Phillies win tonight. I'm probably on fire and Henley's just going to win. So I'm going to take that momentum, <laughs> ride it right into Thursday TL. That parlay might play pretty well this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So with that, we'll say goodbye for this week's episode. Thanks for joining us at the links and locks. 
presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier in the week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill as they brunt down their top plays for this week's tournament. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. By the time you listen to this on Wednesday morning, we're going to have our best bets out there. Jason Sobel's got his picks. Uh, Chris Murphy, Matt Vincenzi all have their picks out there. Also got a long shots article from Shane McNichol. So a ton of content from all of our awesome writers who've been pretty hot this fall so far. You can find us on Twitter. Nick is at StixPicks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. Spencer is at Tof Sports, T-E-E-O-F-F-S-P-O-R-T-S. And then I am at RobertoA213. Guys, where else can we find you this week? You can find a lot of my written content over at Rotoballer. I'm going to be going through the tournament. And you can also find, I'm going to do a round one article for Action Network. I also cover usually round three and round four with it. So all my written work for the most part at this point is at Rotoballer and Action Network. And then you can always find Nick and I at Better Golf Podcast. Nick, where else can we find you this week? You can find me on the Action Network on primetime games for NFL best bets. We hit Tyler Boyd under 61 and a half last night, so feeling good about that. And then Win Daily Sports for all of my NFL content, like I've mentioned, I think every show we've done. This is uh, my very busy season with NFL doing the, the projection model every single night and everything like that. But again, love to dissect these good tournaments, especially when there's talented players in the field and a cut line, everything like that. So we can get some matchups and everything in there. But yeah, I'm really excited for this tournament. I, I think it's it's beautiful on TV too, to see this one. So I always like the uh, the scenic rounds as well as last week was really nice to watch. It just kind of sucked that there was really no one playing that I was interested in other than Mr. Pan, and we all know how that went. But yeah, I'm very excited for, for the week coming up and all the football we got coming up as well. That'll do it for us today here on Links and Locks. Here's hoping you hit the green this week.